And we're going to be reading from starting at verse 19. Excuse me. Hebrews 10, verse 19, down through 25. So in Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19, the Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will uh, take some time to look at this passage as God gives us our message. Father, again, we just need you and we know we need you all the time, but as we look into your word, we need your guidance through your Holy Spirit. We need your conviction we need your work in us to change us into what, a, what you want us to be. So give us understanding and help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, we want you to be glorified. And as we look at your word today, you will do that as you show us yourself and as you show us what you want for us. Help us to be obedient now. Lord, I pray that you would give me strength. I need you to help me to speak the words of truth from your word. I need you to give me the words to say. And so I ask for your spirit to fill me, to give me power, to give me strength, and to give me wisdom that I might share your truth today so that we can all grow and learn together. And Lord, through all of this, we want you to be lifted up. We want your name to be praised and you to be glorified. And so we ask that you would do your work now. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. This morning, I'm just going to share with you um, something that is more practical, although there is some theological substance behind it. This is not going to be a deep theological study. Um, It's basically about fellowship. And lots of people in churches and even um, outside of churches talk about this word fellowship. And when we say fellowship here, You know, in the announcements, if I say, okay, there's going to be a church fellowship after the service, everybody thinks food, right? And that's not a bad thing. We need to get back to that, okay? We do need to have food together because um, that was a practice of the early church, and so there's nothing wrong with us doing that. Some people will think beyond that, oh, it's not just food, it's, you know, spending time together, talking with one another. So it's the interaction that we have with each other as believers that we call fellowship. And yet, it's much more than that, because fellowship is not based in what we do. Fellowship is based in what God has done. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 tells us here. Even though that word fellowship doesn't appear, this is the foundation of fellowship for us. Okay? So, as we study this passage uh, together today, and we look at these few verses... I want you to kind of get a good picture of what the Bible describes as fellowship. And when you use that word in the future, hopefully it's not just about getting together for a meal or enjoying being with each other, okay? There's a deeper substance to it. 
So as we look at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, the first thing we see in verse uh, 10, I'm sorry, in verse 19, is this prerequisite for fellowship, okay? Where is our fellowship based? And he starts by saying, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a tr- in a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Everything that he's described here is talking about what Christ has done for us, okay? It's all of the sacrifice, all of the suffering, all of what God gave, himself, gave to us through Jesus Christ, his son. That's the basis of our fellowship. And it says, because we have Jesus, verse 19, because we have boldness to enter into the presence of God because of the blood of Christ, there's the substance of fellowship. Now, we've been talking about the church and we've gone over a lot of different things about the church over the past several months. And we talked last week about being filled with the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is in us and he empowers us to live every day. The fact that we are one body in Christ with one Spirit in us is the basis for our fellowship. We are one family. Okay? We are God's family. And so because of that... We have fellowship, not because we can get along with each other and we enjoy talking to each other and we enjoy meals and all the rest of it, okay? Fellowship is foundationally based in the fact that we are all one body in Christ Jesus, and it's because of what Jesus has done. So really, fellowship doesn't necessarily have to do with our interaction. Now, practically it does, but substantially, or the foundation of it, has nothing to do with what we do with each other. It has to do with what God has done for us. Okay? So that's where fellowship begins. And it it talks about Jesus providing the sacrifice. In verse 20, he's the new and living way. Remember, in the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to Jewish Christians. Okay? There are a lot of Jewish Christians in the church, Jewish converts. And they're still thinking in that Jewish mindset. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them outside of, he's using the analogies of Jewish worship, but he's trying to get them away from the substance of that as far as their religion is concerned and move more toward the the substance of who Jesus Christ is. All of the sacrifices, all of the things that were done in the temple were nothing but a picture of Jesus Christ. He was the one who was to come to fulfill all of that. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us here that Jesus is the new and living way. He's the new way because it's not necessarily doing away with the law. Christ has fulfilled the law. And therefore, all of our focus now is on him rather than on what we do. Okay? So he's telling the Jews here, Christ is this new way. And he calls it the living way because that's the only place that you're going to find true life. Now, that life is what puts us in fellowship with each other. I want you to go over to 1 John for just a second, chapter 1, because 1 John tells us the substance of our fellowship and it defines it for us. 1 John chapter 1, 
fact, the whole chapter of 1 John chapter 1 is talking about fellowship. And if you'll start at verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. So John the Apostle here is saying, We're telling you the truth about Jesus Christ for what purpose? So you can have fellowship with us. Because those of us who are in Christ, we are looking for fellowship with more people who are going to come into Christ. So he says, we tell you these things so that you can have fellowship with us. And he goes on. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here we have a foundational verse that talks about fellowship, and the truth that we get out of this is this. If we are not in fellowship with God first, we cannot be in fellowship with each other. There's no way to have fellowship with other believers if you're not having fellowship with God. So your relationship with each other depends on your relationship with God. Now, that comes down to the greatest commandment, right? Remember, Jesus was standing there, and one of the Pharisees came up and said, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus answer him? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, with all your strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he starts with your relationship with God. Do you love God, truly? And if you do love God, that will translate in how you relate to other people. And that's exactly what the book of John, 1 John here is telling us, that we have fellowship first with God, and because of our fellowship with God, then we can have fellowship with others, others who are in Christ. Verse uh, 4, he says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, here's a phrase that I want to address real quickly, because... There's a lot of people who say, well, you know, that guy's out of fellowship with the Lord, or that guy's out of fellowship with the church, or whatever. That phrase, out of fellowship, biblically, can only mean one thing. It means they're not saved. If they're out of fellowship with God, it means they're disconnected from God. And if you're disconnected from God, then you're not in Jesus Christ, okay? Now, we use that term loosely, out of fellowship. And, 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 and now, I've said it. I'm guilty of it. Okay, but if we look at it biblically, when we talk about some being, someone being out of fellowship with God, that can only mean that they're not saved. Because if we are saved truly in Christ, then we are by default in fellowship with Christ. And so we are in fellowship with God. It doesn't mean our relationship is perfect. We still have to work at continuing to learn about God, continuing to learn how to love God, continuing to learn how to obey God. But that's what our desire should be, and God knows that, and God knows we're not going to be perfect at it. But if we're in fellowship with God, if our desires are the same, if we desire to be with him and to commune with him, then it will show in our lives, and it will show in how we relate to other people. And John says, if that's true, then you will have joy. So when we look at somebody and their life is a mess and they're just not getting along with people, we know, if we know they're a believer, they're not really out of fellowship. They've just lost their joy. Remember when David sinned with, this, with Bathsheba and he went and confessed his sin before God in Psalm 51 is his prayer of confession and repentance before God. And in that prayer, he says to God, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
See, when we break fellowship, if you use that term loosely, when we're not obeying God, when we're not trusting in God, it's not that we all of a sudden are not saved anymore. We still have that connection. We're just not using it. And so it's not that we've lost fellowship. According to John, we've lost the joy because we're not trusting God. He's there, right? He said he would never leave us or forsake us. And so we lose our joy in life because our eyes are on what we want, our eyes are on circumstances, our eyes everywhere except where they should be focused. And John says, here's where your joy is found, here's where you can have full joy, knowing that Jesus died for you, number one, having that faith, and number two, knowing that God's going to take care of you and that he's going to fulfill all his promises. And we're going to see that in Hebrews in just a minute. Okay, so when we talk about fellowship, here we have the fellowship that is with God, and that fellowship with God then gives us joy in our lives. Now, that joy should spill over to other people. That's how we have fellowship with each other, when that joy is overflowing from us into other people, when God's love in us is overflowing from us to other people. That's the substance of fellowship, and it's all because we're in the same family. If you look on, uh, continue on in 1 John, in verse 6, he says, if, if you say then that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship with each other is based in Jesus Christ. Being able to relate and have joy and love one another means we're walking in the light, Paul, or John says here. So we have the connection with God. It's just whether we're using it or not. Now, if we never use it, if we have no evidence of that in our life, if we never have joy, then we have to ask the question, am I truly in that connection? Have I truly, in faith, accepted Christ's sacrifice on my behalf? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if a man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So we should look differently. We should act differently. We should think differently. All right? And the Holy Spirit does that work in us. But John says, when you know these things, if that's the substance of your faith, then you are in fellowship with God. You will be in fellowship with one another, and your joy will be full. So here's the basis of fellowship that we see for us as believers. It's not about having meals. We can have meals. I mean, I'm all for having meals. And I'm, I'm all for getting together and enjoying each other's company and having conversations, but our fellowship is found in Jesus Christ because he's made us one family, and that's where we're going to find our joy as well. There's a whole bunch of people out there who call themselves Christians, and their lives are miserable. They complain about stuff all the time. They just aren't getting what they want, and that's the problem. They want what they want. Okay, that's what they're looking for as far as the substance of their lives. And you've heard me say this before, but the problem with those kinds of people who call themselves Christians, but they're always miserable, it's because they have too much of the world or they want too much of the world to be happy with God, but they have too much of God to be happy with the world. And so they're stuck in this middle ground where nothing is ever going to be enough because it's not enough of God and it's not enough of the world and there's, there's no happiness anywhere. And so as John tells us, we have to find our fellowship with God first so that our joy might be full. 
And it's that fellowship we have with God that becomes the foundation of our fellowship with each other. Back to Hebrews chapter 10 here. All right, so we, the, the prerequisite for fellowship with each other is being in fellowship with God as a believer. We have to be saved and be in Christ. Okay, so the foundation of that is verses 19 through 21, which we just read. And it says in verse 21, we have a high priest over the house of God. Therefore, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Who are we supposed to draw near to? The question is answered kind of by default. Who are we drawing near to? It's the one who's paid the price for our sin. It's the one who's given us this fellowship in the first place. And so he says we're supposed to draw near to God. That's the inference here because looking at the verse before it, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now the picture that uh, the writer of Hebrews is giving us, again, put yourself in the Jewish perspective. Think about the Old Testament tabernacle in the temple and how it was laid out and how the outer court, and then there's an inner room that's called the holy place, okay? Then inside that, kind of secured away from everything else, is the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where, which represented God's presence. No one was allowed in the Holy of Holies except for the high priest once a year. And so that was covered with a very thick veil. No one was allowed to enter that. Now take that picture. And you look at this verse, in verse 22, and and verse 21 tells us, Jesus is our high priest, therefore, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. He's basically saying, we are now allowed, because of Christ, to come directly into the presence of God. There's no veil. Remember, when Christ died, the veil was torn. That was symbolic. God gave them that sign for a reason because he was saying, everything now is in Christ. There's no separation between God and man anymore. Christ has taken care of that problem. And therefore, we can have direct fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. The Israelites didn't have that. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. They went through the priest. They went through sacrifices. They went through the observing the law. But in Christ, we now have that veil taken away, is what he's telling us here in verse 22. And so we can draw near to God with a, a full heart or, or full assurance with a true heart of faith. And then he says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This heart sprinkled with an e- with a, uh, from an evil conscience is talking about Christ washing us from our sin, okay? So all of this is just substantial of what the foundation of our relationship with God is. It's all in Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we have fellowship directly with him. And we can come boldly before him into his presence. And how do we do that? We're doing it right now, okay? What we're experiencing here together is fellowship. We are fellowshipping in the truth of God. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, okay? It means partnership or partaker of or in common, something that's in common. 
So think of a partnership. Uh, a marriage is a great example of this. All right? When, uh, in Ephesians 5, it says that um, the, the husband shall leave, his, wife and cl- or leave his, his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They become one flesh. Okay? So that's a partnership. That is this word fellowship. You become one. Koinonia, a partnership, something in common that binds us together. And we have Christ in common. So what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is, because of that, because of what Christ has done, because Christ has cleansed us all from our sin, and then he says in the end of the verse, and our bodies washed with pure water, we have fellowship. Now, that phrase, again, is going back to the Jewish rituals. The priests, before they would come into the temple to go into God's presence, to to put the blood on the altar, to offer the sacrifices, they would have to wash their clothes and change and put on brand new, clean clothes. Before that, they would have to actually go into what they called a mikvah. It was uh, like a baptismal almost, like we have here. And except they had some very strict regulations. It had to be fresh water or very pure water. And it had to be running water. And it had to be cool water. Now, this was all given by the rabbis. But the idea was that this fresh, cool, running water would wash away the dirt from our body so that not only internally but externally, the priests were presenting themselves as clean before God. And the picture that we have in verse 22 is that we don't have to do that necessarily because Christ has done that for us. He says, it's already been done. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's a spiritual picture of the cleansing that Christ has given us. And then he says, because that's happened in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So the foundation of our fellowship is based in what God has done for us. Very quickly, go back, keep your finger in Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Go back to Acts. We spent a lot of time in Acts the last couple weeks, but there's a lot in Acts that we can learn from. Acts chapter 2. And we're not going to revisit Pentecost again, but we're going to revisit after Pentecost. Go to the end of the chapter, verse 41 in Acts chapter 2. And this is after Peter's message to the people that are standing around. And he says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look at verse 42, because now you have a church of about... 3,120 people, according to my math, based on what we have so far in Acts chapter 2. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, what's the next word? Fellowship. Okay, some of you might have communion. Fellowship. Keep reading. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. There's our meals, by the way. And prayer. Now, there's four things that the people in the early church did on a regular basis together. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That's preaching, teaching, learning. They didn't have the New Testament, so they depended on the apostles to teach them. So they did that regularly. And they had fellowship. Partnership is that word. 
communion with one another, things in common, okay? And in fact, if you go over to chapter 4, toward the end of the chapter, verse 32, chapter 4 of Acts, verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Now, we've just added a bunch more people here into the church after the original 3,120. So I have no idea how many there are, but there's several thousand people. And it says one heart and one soul. That's communion. When we can agree on things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that we might be of one mind. That God's desire, Paul's desire was for believers to be of one mind and of one spirit, to agree on things. Now, if we look at everything from God's perspective, and if we all are open to what God wants to teach us, is there going to be any problem with that? God's not going to teach one person one thing and another person another thing and say, well, I have this directly from God, I know I'm right. And the other person says exactly the same thing. Who's right? God. Now, the problem is we claim things to be absolute truth that we don't understand, or we want to interpret them our own way so that we can make it fit our own life. And that's another message, okay? But what Paul is telling us, or I'm sorry, what Luke is telling us here in, in Acts is that they were of one mind and of one heart. Now, if you keep going, I want you to keep reading this because it says... Um, Verse 32 in Acts chapter 4, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So they had so much commonality and so much communion and so much community, the real true uh, meaning of that word, in their lives, that they didn't go around saying, well, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. They truly had the attitude that everything that God had given them, including all of their food, their possessions, their clothing, their houses, belonged to the church as a whole. Not the organization of the church, the people that made up the church. Now that's perfectly in, what, in communion and in agreement with what we've been teaching in our Bible study about living generously. God has given us everything that we own so that we can use it to bless other people. And here it is being practiced by the early church. And if you keep reading, it basically says, and they sold their goods and they gave the money to the church to help the poor and to provide for other people who didn't have things. And that's the common heart and common soul. See, that's fellowship. Is when we all have the same goal to build up the body of Christ. And that means building up each other, regardless of what it costs me. Okay? So we have this foundation of fellowship. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 10. And I've kind of jumped ahead of myself, but I wanted you to see that. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. What is the profession of our faith? What is he talking about there? Is it just, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe Jesus saved me, amen, so I can be happy the rest of my life? No. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 
that the just shall live by faith. That phrase is repeated twice more in the scriptures. The just shall live by faith. It's in Hebrews chapter 11 as well. It means it's not just that people who believe in Christ in faith are saved. That's true. But it means people who truly are saved will continue to live by faith, trusting God for everything in their lives. Now, let me go back to what I just said about having all things in common. What did God give you all the stuff that you possess for, biblically, to help other people? Okay? That's the mindset of fellowship. God has given me everything that I have, including my own life, to help other people. That's the substance of fellowship. And he says, holding fast the profession of our faith, that means we're going to live out what we truly believe. And what we truly believe is that God loved us. Therefore, we are to love him. And in loving him, we are to love others. Without reservation, without regret, without remorse, without holding back anything. That's what God did for us. So we're starting to see this picture of what true fellowship looks like. It starts by looking at Christ. What has he done for us? He is not only the foundation of our fellowship, but he is the model for our fellowship. Look at how Christ lived. He didn't care whether he had some place to sleep. He didn't worry about whether he had food to eat. He didn't worry about money. In fact, all he had as far as clothes was what he was wearing. And we spend so much time in our lives worrying about all the physical stuff that we have to have in order to survive, we miss the opportunity of fellowship with other believers and fellowship with God because our minds are sidetracked on all this other stuff that doesn't matter. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added unto you. And he's talking about what you need to eat, what you need to wear, And he didn't say seek second all the other things. He said seek first. Seek God alone. Seek his kingdom. That's the priority. That's where fellowship is found. So when he talks in, in, or when the the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, he's saying, obviously, we need to continue to hold to what we're trusting in, in the work of Christ, but then hold to it in actually living it out day by day in how we treat one another. See, that's where, that's where the substance of fellowship. And then verse 24, he says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, I love this verse. This is one of my wife's favorite verses. Because if you interpret this, what it's basically saying in our... I'm going I'm to put modern English on it for you, okay? He's saying, Outdo one another in love. If you ever want to find a competition that's defined in the Bible, here it is. Outdo one another in love. Provoke one another to love. How can I love someone so much in action that they understand what the love of God is so that they then do that to other people? See, that's the action of fellowship. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We are to provoke one another unto love. We're not to provoke one another to anger or to frustration 
We're not to provoke one another to envy or jealousy. We're to provoke one another to love. We're to live in love toward others so that others get the picture of what Christ is supposed to be in us so then they start living it out themselves. See, literally, that's what it means to build up the church, to edify the church, to provoke one another in love. Provoking one another in love takes action. It takes sacrifice in many cases. And it takes interaction. Now, if you just sit at home and never worry about anybody else, never do anything for anybody else, never worry about anybody else, how are you provoking anybody to love? See, and this is why we come together. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means you can't fulfill fellowship by being away from God's people all the time. Can't happen. And so that's why we meet together in church. Now, I know there's extreme circumstances that has kept us apart, okay? But at some point, we have to go to God honestly and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do in coming back together? And that's why we're kind of getting back to normal in our church. And I'm not saying there's no dangers, there's no threats, we're not worried about anything out there, okay? The fact is, we'll do what we can to be safe, but we need to meet as God's people. Because unless we meet, we can't provoke each other to love. We can't truly have fellowship. We can't function as God's church unless we are together. That's what the early church did. They met together. In fact, they were meeting together daily. Now, I would love that, but I know we have jobs and we have families and we have things we have to take care of, all right? So, you know, we don't have to do it daily, but God has given us one day a week on Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day for a reason, and it's a perfect opportunity not just to go to church to get my religious fix for the week, and now I'm good. We are here for each other. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, if you are a believer, every one of you including me, has a spiritual gift. And those spiritual gifts aren't there so you can walk around going, look, I have the spiritual gift of mercy. See my badge? That makes me something. I have the spiritual gift of giving. See my badge? No, God's given us spiritual gifts so that we can interact with each other, so that we can help each other, so that we can encourage each other in edifying the body of Christ. And so fellowship is about coming together and using what God has given us both in our substance and in our spiritual gifts to build one another up and provoke each other to love, to out-love one another. That's the activity of fellowship. Now, we've seen this picture that God has given us in, in the book of Hebrews. He, he, he starts with the tabernacle. And he calls all the people together to worship the Lord, to come into his presence. He says, there's a picture of what we have in Christ. We all are gathered together in the presence of God through Christ Jesus. Now that we're in the presence of God through Christ Jesus, now that we have life in Christ Jesus, let's start living toward each other like Christ Jesus lived toward other people. That's fellowship. And we have to be together to do it. 
And that's why he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The reason you come to church is not to get something out of it. If that's your motivation, you're going to go away disappointed probably every week. Okay? The reason we come together is to build up the church of God. It's what you can input, not what you export. God has brought you here for what you can input. Because we are here to input into each other's lives. And that's why verse 25 is so important, because if you say, well, I can worship God out in the woods by myself. I have no doubt about that. You know what? I can worship God out in the woods by myself, but I can't provoke anybody to love when I'm all by myself doing my own thing. And so we miss the whole substance of fellowship when we approach worship in that way. Worship can be a personal thing, and it should be in our lives daily as we worship God. But we also do that together, and that's part of fellowship. That's why we gather here. We sing the hymns together. We're singing together the the praises of God. And that brings me to some very practical things as we finish up today. How do we actually have fellowship? What does the Bible tell us about actually practicing these things out? How do we provoke one another to love practically? Okay? And and, And he gives us Uh, that basis but the bible continues to tell us different ways in which we can practice this love or show this fellowship okay in galatians chapter 5 and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on these but i'm just going to give you this list in galatians chapter 5 verse 13 it says for brethren you have been called unto liberty that's the liberty we have in christ only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh that means don't use your christian liberty to serve yourself But he says, but by love, serve one another. See, there's the practice of our spiritual gifts toward each other. We're serving each other. So in fellowship, we should be serving each other. That's what God has called us together for, to serve each other in love. Second of all, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, we looked at these last week. And it talks about, above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Love is the bond that holds us together in Christ. We love God. That's what makes us a common family. Okay? So he says, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be thankful. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Who are you singing to when we sing congregational hymns? Well, everybody goes, well, of course, we're worshiping God, so we're singing to God. Yeah. This verse says we're also singing to each other. By singing together, we're actually encouraging each other with the truth that we're singing. We agree, hopefully, we agree what we're singing. These are the truths that bind us together. That's why we sing them together. So Paul says, singing to one another is fellowship. So we serve one another. We sing to one another. In 1 John chapter 3, it gives us a third way we can actually have fellowship, and it says, we support one another. Whoso hath this world's goods, this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, there's the love factor, 
How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, literally, what John is saying is, if you have something that somebody else needs, give it to them. Don't worry about what God's going to do for you. You give it to them. And you let God worry about taking care of your need. That's holding fast the profession of our faith. Because that's what Christ did. That's the model of the early church. Somebody needs something, I have it, I'll give it to them. Because they need it. I don't, I'm not going to worry about me. God will worry about me. Now, think about that. If all of us did that, and I'm not, I'm not saying we have to have, you know, communism, but the mindset is important that we are here to meet each other's needs. We are here to support each other. And physically supporting each other is the beginning of that. We help one another with things that we need. But how else do we support each other? In James chapter 5, this is a hard verse for a lot of Christians, the way it starts. Because it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your faults one to another. Oh boy. I don't know if I can do that, right? You know, I heard a pastor say one time, if we all had a placard, on a chain hung around our neck that listed all of our greatest sins and everybody could see them, we would all be different people. Confess your faults one to another. Hey, brother, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? And that's the next phrase in James 5, 6. It says, confess your faults one to another, not so you can gossip, but it says, and pray for one another. We have a whole list every week that we put in the bulletin of weaknesses and faults and needs that people have. We can support each other through prayer. When we ask for prayer requests, basically, you know, if you're, if you're sharing a prayer request about yourself, I'm, you're saying, I have a weakness in my life. I have a fault right now I need help with. And then we pray for each other. But not just pray, because First John says, if you know he has a fault or a need and you don't do anything to help him, you're missing the love of God. So we serve one another. We sing to one another. We, we uh, support one another. And actually, part of fellowship is suffering with one another. You're already in Hebrews chapter 10. Go down to verse 34. This is the writer of Hebrews This is why many people think this is Paul who wrote this, or one of the reasons. Verse 34 says, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. The people that the author of Hebrews, if we want to assume it's Paul, whoever's writing this is in prison, suffering for the name of Christ. And he says, the people he's writing to, or at least some of them, joyfully accepted what he called the spoiling of their goods. And when you talk about the spoils of war, okay, when a nation would go in and conquer another nation, they would take all the good stuff. They would take all the treasures, all the gold, all all, anything they could find of value, and take it back to their home country. That's the word spoils. 
That's what he's talking about here. And these people joyfully suffered losing their own stuff to help somebody else who was suffering. See, we suffer together. Romans chapter 12 is is what I call a handbook of Christian life. If you want a very concise, very easy, kind of compartmental handbook for the Christian life, read Romans chapter 12. It starts by a living sacrifice, and then it goes through a whole list of one another's that we're supposed to do to one another. And in the middle of that, it says, um, uh, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Have some empathy. Not just sympathy, have empathy. Suffer with the person. Remember, we are one body. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And so we suffer with one another. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author here goes on, he says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. If you have another part of the family of God that's suffering, you're suffering. And so we should remember them. Pray for them. Do what you can to support them. Encourage them. Edify them. Because you're suffering with them. And if you don't care what other people's suffering is about and what they're going through, and it's like, oh, well, you know, we'll see them when they get over it. That's not the mind of Christ. We suffer together. So very practically, fellowship comes down to serving one another, singing to one another and with one another, supporting one another, and even suffering with each other. That's fellowship. It really has nothing to do with getting together after church and talking about the weather or the football game or, you know, what you did this week. Okay, that's conversation. We can do that with the guy at the 7-Eleven. We don't have a bond with him if he's not in Christ, but we should have a bond with each other, and so our fellowship should go a whole lot deeper than just that kind of conversation. And so that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. The substance of our fellowship is found in Christ and what we have because we're all one body. We are all in this together. We are made not just partners, but we are members one of another, Paul says. We're all part of one body. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, back in verse 25, as the manner of some is, but look at the last phrase, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what's he talking about? The day of Lord. When the Bible uses this phrase, the day of the Lord or the day approaching, it's talking about the end times. We don't have much time left. If in our minds we think, well, you know, I can help him tomorrow. I'll think about it. I'll pray. You know, when we talk to each other, I'll pray for you. We may not have tomorrow. Christ says here, or the author of Hebrews tells us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the day is approaching. And this was almost 2,000 years ago that this was written. So we're getting real close, folks. And he says, so much more. We are to exhort one another. We are to have that fellowship because the day is approaching. So there's the challenge to us. Because the day is approaching, are we practicing that fellowship so much more? These are the people you're going to spend eternity with. Why can't we start 
treating each other like family now and make it an important part of our lives, not just something we do once a week and, you know, I'm glad to know that person. We are bound together in Christ. And I'm sorry, but you're not ever going to get rid of me. Okay? You're stuck with me. I probably won't be up preaching in heaven. We'll listen to Christ do that. But we're stuck together. Okay? All of us. And so the author of Hebrews says, Exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Our fellowship should be an immense priority right now, especially in the circumstances that we see in our world that are taking place. Okay, I pray almost every day, Lord, I I hope it's today. I I would love to go today. I have a friend in Michigan who's a believer. We have great fellowship. We love to talk about the Lord and what he's doing. But every time I talk to him lately, it's like, he says, um, you know, I, I can't wait. He says, every morning I get out of bed and I jump up and down for rapture practice. He says, I'm hoping the Lord will just take me on the way up. Okay? But, but that's the attitude, you know, and he's talking about the hope that we have here in Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's what we're looking forward to. We're not necessarily looking forward to the next church dinner. That would be great if we can do that and when we do that. We're not looking forward to the next activity of the church We're not even looking forward necessarily to the next service of the church. What I'm looking forward to is going to heaven. That's our hope. Now, until that time, we have the opportunity to encourage and exhort each other and to have true fellowship. And he says, the day's getting close. We need to do it all the more, and it's all the more important now. So where is your fellowship found? It's in Christ Jesus. We are a common body in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we are bound together to serve one another, to sing to one another, to support one another, and to suffer together. That's fellowship, folks. And if, if people in this church, and it's not just by church, it's the believers. If people who are believers would get that idea... I think the church of God would be so much more effective in what God called, has called us to do in this earth. Pray for fellowship. Seek fellowship. Make it happen. Okay? We have fellowship in Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with each other. Now it's up to us to put it into action. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us and the encouragement and the exhortation that you've given us today. I pray that your spirit would continue to encourage us in your truth and to help us to live by it. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to see these things that are in your word today. And as we know, the day is approaching, and it seems to be coming so much more quickly today, that this would become a priority in our lives, that we would look around at the body of Christ, the people that you put into our lives, and not just the ones in our church, but those who need to hear the gospel, who need to be part of your kingdom. And so, Lord, make that fellowship with you and with others a priority now in our lives. We thank you for what you're going to do, and we're excited about the work that your Holy Spirit can do in us and through us. And so just lead us and guide us. Make us doers of the word and not hearers only. And go with us now, we pray. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together, to worship you, and may our lives proclaim the gospel of truth and hope and joy and love to those around us because of what Christ has done, and it's in his name we pray today.
Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.
three days. So uh, you were right. You, you said something about tuning on the fifth fret. Yeah. So I took a look, and there is a tuning like that all the way. Yeah. I thought I knew what you meant. Um, I thought you meant like standard tuning. Um, is that what you mean? Or because yeah. here, may I show you what I'm talking about? It's easier to show than to say. Is this bad? So you know how you want to do this. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. But then when you get down yeah, no, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. okay. So you did mean that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I found is there is a tuning where you don't. She went the back after I'm done looking through. Just donate. Okay. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. 